Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me John Blake, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer for Vector Controls and Automation Group. Welcome, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today because we are discussing generations in the workplace. But before that, can you give an introduction on you know, who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Sure. Well, I'm a 25-year uh, HR practitioner. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in very large multinational global companies, started with uh, General Motors. And uh, after learning everything you can possibly know about HR, I kind of went off on my own and uh, tried to do everything myself, which uh, was a humbling experience to say the least. So um, I'm currently, at least for the last 10 years, been a kind of fix-it guy or uh, somebody who's installed HR infrastructure for smaller companies, all sub-1,000 employees uh, for five companies now in Houston. So um, I, one, one of my hobbies has always been this generation. Generational friction is, I think, how most of the media portrays it. Uh, it needn't be that way, uh, is at least my uh, you know multi-decade study of, of that whole idea. So um, looking forward to talking about it with you. Yeah. So before we get into that, I'm really interested because you went from large corporation to smaller uh, scale business. What do you enjoy about each one and what kind of made you gravitate toward the smaller business? Well, on a real basic level, you can affect more, uh, more change, you know, for the positive in particular with a smaller organization. Uh, You know, as part of a large multinational, you, you have very good control over your immediate work group, you know, your peers that you touch on a daily basis, whether virtually or in reality. Uh, But, you know, with a smaller organization, you can really, you know, reach out and touch everybody in the organization, their families, you know, the friends, the community, you can really get involved in a way that, uh, in my opinion, I I feel like I have a better impact on the world around me than I did with a larger corporation. So uh, that needs to play in a lot of sandboxes, you know, typically, uh, there's a lot more specialization in larger organizations and, you know, being able to be a, a generalist that gets to dabble in everything is really appealing to me. So uh, very good transition for myself. Don't recommend it for everybody. Again, it can be a very humbling experience coming out of a very, you know, well-resourced sort of place and going into a, uh, let's get some uh, duct tape and uh, super glue and try to put this all together. Yeah, I, I agree because my, my career is in small business as well, and it's very hands-on. I've learned so much just because I've had to, <laughs> because no one else can take on the work. So it, that's such a benefit. Um, have you found that as well? You've been able to upskill or add uh, because of that small business experience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, my large company experience gives me perspective on, you know, what's possible. And, you know, we've got unlimited resources. You have centers of expertise. You know what's available out there, uh, you know, as far as levers and buttons you can push and pull to get things done. And then you walk into a smaller organization that doesn't have that unlimited resource pool to pull from. And you can approximate a lot of it without spending the kind of money that you necessarily would in a large organization. So it's it's really exciting, too, because the smaller organizations don't always know what's possible. And I like you know opening their eyes to, hey, we could do this. And they're amazed. You know, it's kind of like a magic trick over and over again. So. Yeah. A lot of creative problem solving, too. Yep, for sure. 
Yeah. So let's get in to generations. So you did tell me about your master's thesis because you <laughs> focused on generations uh, for your thesis. I, I did. And it's funny, you know, this is ancient history for probably most of people watching or listening. But uh, so almost 30 years ago, uh, I wrote my master's thesis, which was on uh, generational friction between baby boomers and their employees, mostly Generation X. And, uh, you know, that was a new thing back then. And since then, I've, I've done more research. And I, I'll tell you, I'm not an expert. And Anybody that you know comments, you know, in the comment section, or whatever, and says this guy's an idiot. Uh, yeah, probably right. Um, you know, I just pay attention to it more than most people do, probably because that's how I started. I mean, that was my first major research project as a grad student. Uh, it ended up being my master's thesis, uh, and it's been interesting because I've seen the same sorts of things play out over the last few. And you know, most recently, if I had to redo that whole thesis again, it'd be you know, millennial bosses with Gen Z employees. And, you know, it, it's very interesting how things have changed yet have not changed and remain the same. And so what has not changed? I'm interested in, in learning. Well, I mean, it's, it, there's always going to be some sort of friction and I, I should probably set the stage a little bit contextually because, you know, you can't generalize too much. I mean, can generalize, overgeneralize too much, I think is a better way to say it. You, you can't draw a line like the media in particular likes to do and say everyone born in a certain period of time is one generation or another. There's, it's, a, it's a deeper, I think, meaning, there's a deeper meaning to it than that. And what I mean by that is, uh, so I'm part of Generation X, the tail end of it, by birth, date. Uh, my parents, however, were not baby boomers. I was not raised by baby boomers. So therefore, I'm not really a millennial. I got to be Gen X. And if you can know every person in your organization, back to that whole small company versus large company thing, and you know, you know, parental ages and you know a variety of things you wouldn't know in a large company, you can have a more accurate understanding of where a person's coming from without generalizing. You're from this generation. Therefore, I need to treat you as such. And if you're wrong about the as such, it can do real damage to relationships, you know, without really meaning to. So, um, Anyway, I like to think that my leadership development stuff is based on I have a deeper understanding of all of this and how it inter inter how it all interplays than the vast majority of people who are reading a you know New York Times article or something and say, oh, I have a millennial that works for me. I need to treat them like this because they may not be and they may not want to be. And by the way, they may end up quitting over it because you did something inadvertently to harm the relationship. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up an article because I feel like and you brought up the media, too, because. You know, as a journalist, I know how things work behind the scenes. And I feel that, um, you know, a lot of articles are really, really pushing that divide, especially between millennials and Gen Z. They're doing it through fashion. And, you know, apparently Gen Z is mocking millennials for how we do X, Y, and Z. But I work with Gen Z. I, I teach uh, a college and that's not the case. I pulled them and... They honestly don't know how old millennials are. They don't care. They just want, they want to know they're going to be okay. <laughs> so I, I think it's very fascinating, you know, what we're consuming and what's being told to us is not representative of the generation itself. Sure. And, and more importantly, things tend to change. I mean, you, you, you read as a snapshot in time and it, most of them overgeneralize. They make assumptions that may or may not be valid in the moment. But, you know, the 
Gen X in particular made fun of the millennials because, oh, they weren't going to buy houses. They weren't going to have kids. And guess what? They're doing both. And, you know, Gen Z, when they, you know, right now people might be saying similar things. Well, guess what? They're in their early twenties and younger. So yeah, they're not going to have babies yet. Hopefully in most cases, they're not going to buy houses just yet, but uh, they will, you know, so over time, all of that kind of tends to change. And, you know, today, you know, Gen X has a wonderful relationship with a lot of the baby boomers uh, that wasn't there 30 years ago. You know, there's a lot of friction back then when I was writing my thesis and, you know, it, it just doesn't exist today. In fact, it's almost, you know, they've aligned against the younger ones because it's like, we're old now and they're young and guess what? We're going to end up working for them eventually. So, you know, there's all that too. So, yeah. So we talked about friction. So what are the benefits of generational divides? What can we learn from one another? Well, primarily it, if it teaches nothing else, it's that a certain amount of conflict that's creative and productive is good. And, you know, there's a, I think, unnatural sort of feeling today where if you have conflict, there's something wrong. And, you know, conflict of ideas and bringing those, you know, diverse ideas to the table and being able to articulate them and have a discussion about them, uh, I think is in very short supply right now. And so that general friction that you have based on age for you know, lack of anything else, uh, I think brings the opportunity to allow some of that conversation to bubble up naturally without touching on other things that are even more hot button than that in the current time you know, that we're experiencing. And you say communication is a huge part of understanding. I mean, you think about millennial generation and our rallying cry is, okay, boomer. And that really, really, really pushes that divide. Um, but how many of us are actually talking to, you know, the baby boomer generation and figuring out, you know, what they're afraid of, what they want, you know, it's, we're so quick to generalize. Oh, completely. And, you know, it's funny you say that, uh, okay, boomer was a phrase that I got, I thought was hilarious when I first heard it until I realized it was directed at me in the context of what was going on. And I said, I'm not a boomer. I mean, okay, fine. I, I get where you're coming from, but it made me stop and think you know, if I was, would I have changed what I was saying or thinking? And, you know, it, uh, the whole thing allows me to take a step back and say, all right, you know, I need to ask more questions. I need to listen more. I need to understand the perspective of the person I'm talking to better than maybe I would have had to 20 years ago. And I was early in my career and uh, that, that served me very well in the last, you know, 15, 20 years is all right. Take it all in before you respond. Don't think about what you're going to say before the person's done talking. And, you know, it seems real basic and common sense, but the reality is it's not. It's gotten worse, you know, post-COVID, in my opinion. So, Oh, interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I really, and it may just be me being overly sensitive because being overly sensitive is also, I think, a symptom of the, and we're not post-COVID, but we might as well be, uh, sort of world. But you know, it's the, the world moved to Zoom, it moved to, you know, all teams, it moved to all these virtual environments that, frankly, if you're not a very good active listener, I don't think you are very productive in it. And, you know, I hear a lot of I don't collaborate well virtually. And it's kind of like, well, be quiet for a few minutes and listen to what everyone else has to say. And you have to take your turn. You can't talk over each other like you might in a, you know, real life meeting um, where personality kind of tends to dominate, you know, and a zoom type environment, it, it doesn't work very well. I mean, you can still whiteboard, you can still have collaborative tools and use them to, you know, get to the purpose of what the meeting's for. But 
that whole move has radically changed communication. And, you know, especially because you can sit, you know, for the last couple of years anyway, behind a computer. And instead of me staring into my screen, into my camera, you know, I could be off, you know, I'm typing emails and I'm not paying attention. And so the tendency is to not pay attention when you're back in real life together and then you miss things. And so I've had whole conversations with people that I'm like, hello, are you listening? And, you know, what they respond with is not what I was talking about. And that happens way more now than it ever has for me, at least in my career. So interesting. Yeah. And I find that there is definitely a learning curve with everyone going remote or having to shift into this new world because you think about Gen Z and a lot of millennials who are basically digital natives. They entered this world with the internet. They had phones as young as 10 years old. And so they're not going to have a learning curve while, you know, old, older millennials, Gen X, baby boomers, they did not enter a world with the internet. Um, so there's definitely some catching up. And I think there's uh, some give and take and some empathy and understanding that needs to happen. Yep. And it goes both ways. I mean, I, I was very fortunate and I'll, I'll tell you this because I probably shouldn't. I, I, I was an early adopter of online gaming back when there was still dial up. And for people that don't know dial up, uh, that'll date me somewhat, but, you know, but multiplayer online environments, you know, that was something I did when I was in, you know, college grad and grad school. And then, you know, even today I'll still play Fortnite occasionally with my son who kicks my butt, but you know, it, it but that allows you to get, it allowed me at least to have a sort of perspective going into COVID and being, you know, at home working remotely that you have this whole community out there. And in the early environments, you never saw anybody's face. I mean, it was avatars and maybe just text even. And so you had to learn how to communicate very, very well in an environment that was fast moving. You know, maybe you're slaying a dragon or something on top of the conversation you're having, but you could still develop relationships. You can still have meaningful conversations you know, communications with people, you just had to work at it a little more than, you know, frankly, today, it's easy compared to that. But um, anyway, I like to think that's my bridge where most people, you know, my generation, maybe they didn't do all that. So they lost out. And when COVID hit, you know, it became a, and I feel like this was my bridge, whereas a lot of the folks in my generation, you know, maybe didn't do this, but I was into the, you know, online community, the gaming and all that stuff. And it, you know, I was able to build community and engage with other people, even though maybe we didn't see each other's faces or even communicate, you know, verbally. It was, you know, text-based. It was type stuff with your fingers on a keyboard, actually not thumbing on a phone. And so a lot of folks that didn't have that as part of their, you know, call it formative years post-high school, uh, you know, were playing catch-up with the Zoom world and trying to do all this without having you know, that is their background or early training kind of set up. So anyway, I feel very fortunate that I was into that stuff. Although at the time, uh, a lot of people made fun of me for it. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a dork. <laughs> <laughs> I also think everyone has to hear the, the dial up sound at least once in their life to really, <laughs> to really understand what it was like. <laughs> You're just so anxious to get online, but then <clears throat> for 30 seconds straight. Uh, so let's talk no, a little bit. Oh, good. No, just times where there were, you know, maybe you could one or one to three people could be on at any one time. And until somebody dropped, you couldn't have someone else on there, you know, and then when you could have a hundred people on one in one thing at one time, and you were all trying to talk at the same time. So that, you know, the text chat was just, you know, 
going through the roof so fast you had to read faster than everyone else just to keep up with the conversation. You know, the, the keeping up with a couple of voices on Zoom is very easy by comparison. Right, right. We walked <laughs> so everyone could run. <laughs> That's great. So, um, you know, going into, uh, you know, another topic that you're really passionate about is leadership development. And I kind of uh, heard some kernels of wisdom as we were talking about, you know, generations and the communication aspect. So can you uh, share your approach to leadership development? Sure. Uh, and, you know, I was trying to think of something pithy and, I don't know, really sage sounding to, to tell you about that. But, uh what it comes down to really is knowing your audience. And that's how it kind of dovetails very nicely with the generational stuff is you have to know who you're talking to, to deliver the message most effectively. And, you know, you can't generalize and say, well, if you're, you know, part of boomers, Gen X, whatever that you're going to, you have to do it on the phone in person, verbally, however that looks. And if you're in the younger generations, you have to do it over text or via Snapchat or Slack or fill in the blank, you know, uh, I, I still write emails that are too long and my too long emails now are, you know, a paragraph or two. And I know sending it, I'm going to miss people. So I have to follow up with, depending on who my audience is, with a phone call or with text or with something else to make sure that everybody's getting the same message. Even if it's just, I need to direct you back to this because there's enough content here that you have to actually consume so we can have a discussion about the stuff that's important. And you know, as far as leadership goes, you have to be able, you have to be nimble. I mean, you have to be agile, nimble, uh, able to walk in all of those different modes effectively, I think, to be an effective leader generally. And there's not enough of that. There, I, there are peers of mine that I know very, very well, whose names I will not bring up for obvious reasons, as you'll see in a minute, who will take one mode and they rely on it, they lean on it, and that's all they do. And then they come to me and they complain and say, oh, well, you know, these, this group isn't going to, isn't paying attention. They're not doing what I need them to do. And I'm like, well, you sent them a six page email. What did you expect? Well, they should read it. Uh, okay. That might be true, but you're not actually leading anybody if they're not getting the message. So you know, the communication thing is critical. And then how you communicate and the content of that is the second most critical part of it. So, you know, barring that it becomes, how do you teach someone to do that? And, you know, they have to be willing to learn, number one. And, you know, something as we all age, we tend to get stuck in our ways a little bit. Uh, personally, I'm very curious about lots of things. So I don't think I'll ever have that problem. At least I hope not uh, because of that. But, you know, there are a lot of folks who just, they don't, they don't want to develop the new thing. They want to adopt the new technology. I would love it if my computer, my refrigerator, my iPhone and my mouse and my desk all talked to each other and said, the guy's tired, put him to bed, you know? <laughs> so you know, that makes me sort of an outlier. Uh, as far as interesting people in how to do it, you know, if you go back to some of the classics, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, we're about to have that turned on its ear with a new book that's coming out here next month. Uh, that basically says it's how you make phony relationships. It's how you make sales relationships. I don't want to, I'm agnostic when it comes to who writes what, but that was a formative book for me when I was younger. And at the time I was thinking, there's something about this that doesn't sit right with me. And it's the inauthenticity of some of what is recommended as to how you approach people. And for my money, I like to be vulnerable. I like to put everything out there and it plays well with me. And I say plays well. And in the back of my mouth, I throw up a little bit because I'm like, I'm not thinking about this to see how it plays. I really just want to have a positive effect on people. 
And so that's what I mean by plays well. So you know, even the words you use be different and misconstrued in that form or fashion. Yeah. And there's so much power in just getting to know someone. And I feel like the leadership structure is there's the leader and there should be some sort of fear and anxiety instilled in, in someone when they look at that person. And I hate that. I hate that so much. And I think there's, I mean, a, a, a worker really appreciates when a leader comes to them and says, what are you interested in? What would you like to work on uh, instead of just telling them what to do? For sure. And, you know, something I, I t- I've taken for granted and I know I've taken it for granted for my entire career because I'm an HR guy. I've always had access to, you know, senior leaders in every size organization I've worked for. And you know what, for the most part, they're very engaging, especially one-on-one. They're very personable. They're not all outgoing extroverts. They're very introverted and effective leaders as well. And, you know, very high positions, but you know, what I take for granted is they're all human beings. And that whole feeling that you described of there's this trepidation, like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I might get fired that exists. Some of them is just, it's incongruent with how the world needs to operate, especially today, you know, in the environment we're in. I mean, it's, it's almost unconscionable that anybody would want to project that onto other people in today's environment. It's incredible to me, incredibly insane, actually. Yeah. I I mean, with the students that I work with, I'm always looking for their feedback. Um, I, you know, (laughs) because I'm serving them. And I think that leaders, you know, need to realize that, you know, they're also serving their employees too. And their employees feedback is valuable. And I love how you mentioned vulnerability because, when people see vulnerability in a leader, they feel that they can let their guard down and not have that anxiety that, you know, we, we talk about with the typical leader. Well, and it promotes inclusiveness, right? I mean, you know, I might be the chief human resources officer. I've had that title now twice. And it, I tell everybody, it's, I'm just the HR dude. I'm, you know, I'm, it, it, the, the title's not congruent with my personality at all because I don't want my title to scare people. Uh, if anything, I should I don't know everything and I'm in a position that I'm supposed to know everything, at least in other people's minds. Whereas the reality is I don't know everything. I know I don't know everything. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I expect to be given a lot of feedback and I expect people to be very honest and blunt with me. Uh, something I tell, uh, I told this company when I joined four months ago, uh, I told the entire sales force, I was like, look, I have very thick skin. You cannot hurt my feelings. Don't sugarcoat anything. Give it to me straight. Give me both barrels to the face and we'll sort out whatever it is. And if you're emotional when you deliver that message, I'm okay with that. And we'll we'll figure out whatever we need to figure out to get to the root cause, the solution, whatever it is you're after. Uh, But you can't hurt my feelings. So don't act like you're ever going to. And uh, with a sales organization like my current company is, you know, that, that was very, very well received. And, you know, they're, I don't know, they've never had an HR guy before me. And, and then I come, I show up, unfortunately, I probably have spoiled them for all time now. <laughs> so at least with what's, you know, typically seen as an HR person and how they behave, which in media is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's, I find it interesting that you mentioned uh, the job title being intimidating. Do you feel like job titles, they have an intimidation factor behind them? They do. And it's more prevalent, I think, in larger organizations, you know, a vice president of anything versus a director of anything versus a manager. I mean, it. I mean, if you have a hundred person work group in accounting and your manager runs that group, 
I think that manager title can be intimidating to people, but uh, you know, something I was taught very early was everyone puts their pants on the same way. Um, and after I'd worked for a few years at uh, General Motors, you know, it occurred to me if somebody said that to me, I was going to say, yeah, except me, I jump off the bed, pulling my pants on as I hit the floor. Nobody puts their pants on like that, but you know, that just made me laugh. And it, honestly, everyone's going through their, their own unique experiences. So, you know, you can't just say this person's better, this person's scary. So don't treat them that way. Treat them like you would want to be treated. And you're going to make a lot of points with everybody by doing that. So, um, you know, so I, I like to think I practice that a hundred percent of the time, but we, we all know nobody does it perfectly. Yeah. And one thing we both have in common is we were put in leadership positions very, very young. Uh, I was 24 when I was tasked with creating an internship program. And I think you were around a similar age when you were put in your leadership position. Is that correct? Yep, for sure. And if there was ever generational conflict, that would uh, be a good way to describe my first leadership job. Uh, just picture 24, 25 year old me. Um, wow, I feel old now. Um, but with you know 25 to 35 year, you know, union represented workers working in my manufacturing group. And you know, here's this fresh faced kid out of college who knows everything trying to tell them what to do. Yeah. Of all the humbling experiences I've had in my career, that was the most humbling by far. But, but getting the, those folks, you know, to have my back and do what I needed to have done, what the company needed to have done, uh, that was a tremendous learning early on. If I didn't have that, I don't think I'd be, you know, if any of the experiences I've had since, really. I mean, it, it kind of set the stage for you can't operate like they say you have to operate in a textbook, in a classroom, or what you see on TV where what I say is the law and what I say, what the law says is you will do this. Like, it doesn't work. You got people to, for you. And you don't get that with a bit being very demanding and crazy and making you know absurd you know suggestions as far as how you go about things. You listen, you direct, and you ask for people's feedback. Because guess what? The people working for you know how to do their jobs better than you do, or um, they wouldn't be working for you. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people in that position would try to overcompensate by, you know, what I I'm the boss. What I say is you have to listen when that will just push employees further away and listening, you know, having that, that open conversation and actually, like you said, recognizing you have 25, 35 years of experience doing this. What can I learn from you creates a better environment. Oh, for sure. And so just kind of dovetail back into the leadership development space, you're teaching, you know, long-term leaders who've only been in this kind of hierarchical command and control mode for most of their careers. And, you know, it's worked for them, frankly, because they're in leadership roles, uh, but getting them to open up to this idea that you don't have to micromanage, you don't have to be, you know, overly demanding, you need to listen more than you talk, you know, like that whole arc of development is what I really enjoy doing from a leadership development standpoint, because when the, that you flip that switch in somebody and they realize they didn't really have control in the first place, it was an illusion and the people below them, the below them, you know, relatively speaking, uh, hold all the power in the relationship and they just don't really realize it. Uh, all of a sudden the world opens up and forget the great success they've had. What they're going to experience is a hundred times that, and when somebody realizes it, forget the light bulb, it's like a sun erupts over their head and they're like, what have I been missing this whole time? And some of the guys I've dealt with have been, uh, you know, 20, 25 years in senior leadership roles. And they're like, I've totally screwed up the last two decades of my life. This could have been so much easier. 
Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, COVID pushing everyone remote, having people reevaluate what they really want in life, and then, you know, having that remote experience has caused leaders to kind of rethink how they've been doing things? Oh, for sure. Uh, all right. So something I shared with our leadership team here yesterday even was uh, I, I don't think before the pandemic and before lockdowns and everything else that companies did a good job talking to employees about why they do, why the company does what they do and what the mission in the world is and all that sort of thing. Uh, as a result of the last couple of years, I think people have been taking stabs at it, but not very effectively. And then when you put everyone in a remote environment where they don't actually see anybody except over a screen and they don't communicate well in that medium, I think that message is completely lost. But if you can actually achieve that level of communication, even through this medium, then your head and shoulders better than everybody else. I, I don't think you see the great you know, resignation, repurposing, whatever you want to call great, whatever our word. Uh, I, I think you have less of an effect of that. Plus, you hang on to your people. Plus, all of a sudden, word of mouth, you're actually attracting people that wouldn't otherwise come to see you. That's what we've seen here is it's such a great place to work that you know, people are coming out of the woodwork asking us, are you, do you, are you hiring? You know, do you need salespeople? Do you need accountants? And we're like, yes. And yes, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think companies need to realize like, do people really not want to work or do they just not want to work for you? <laughs> Bingo. Bingo. Yes. <laughs> Well, John, this has been a great conversation. I love your insight on, you know, leadership and generations and breaking down, you know, those misconceptions. Um, I'd like, before we wrap up, I'd love to give you an opportunity to promote anything that you're working on or uh, a way for people to reach out and contact you. Sure. Well, I'm John Blake and I look a lot lighter in my LinkedIn photo. Uh, you can reach me at John, J O H N dot Blake, B L A K E at vector and C A G dot com controls and automation group is the acronym for that. So vector com, and happy to take any and all comments again, thick skinned can't hurt my feelings. Feel free to try. Uh, many have, many have failed. Feel free to try. Now that's a challenge. <laughs> hey, I like the challenge. <laughs> well, thank you again. This has been great. Again, I'm Lindsay, host of People Analytics Podcast. If you or anyone you know are like John, who's trying to make the workplace better for employees, trying to improve leadership, feel free to reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.